Welcome to the Publisher's Podcast, your place for psychiatry soundbites. Hi, I'm John Shelton, publisher of the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry. In the next 30 minutes or so, I'll bring you up to date on selections from important peer-reviewed research and reviews from our November 2013 issue. You will hear a transition tone between summaries. Let's get started. Prior studies have found that patients with PTSD perform more poorly on cognitive tests and have an increased risk of developing dementia later in life. Yet, how PTSD may impair cognitive function remains unknown, and identifying modifiable risk factors will help us prevent cognitive impairment in patients with PTSD. To learn more about the connections between PTSD and cognitive function, Dr. Cohn and colleagues conducted a study among 535 adults aged 65 years or younger without dementia, stroke, or other neurologic disorders. They found that patients with PTSD had poor performance on several cognitive tasks compared to those without PTSD independent of age, sex, and race. However, most of the lower cognitive performance in patients with PTSD was explained by a combination of poor health behaviors, such as less exercise and poor sleep, traditional cardiovascular risk factors, including smoking, hypertension, diabetes, and cholesterol problems, and depression. These results suggest that screening for and treating these modifiable risk factors could prevent cognitive decline in patients with PTSD. The Mind Your Heart study was supported by the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute, the Irene Perstein Foundation, and the University of California, San Francisco. The purpose of this academic highlight, sponsored by Synovian, was to provide evidence-based guidance concerning when and how it is appropriate to undertake elective changes in antipsychotic medications in order to reduce adverse effects with a focus on those adverse effects associated with increased long-term health risks. This project extends the results of the NIMH-funded 2009 Schizophrenia Patient Outcomes Research Team, the PORT, Psychopharmacologic Treatment Recommendations. The authors reviewed the literature on switching antipsychotics, focusing on randomized controlled trials published since the PORT. Studies that were reviewed support a recommendation that an elective switch from higher to lower metabolic risk antipsychotics can produce weight and lipid benefits without significant risk of clinical deterioration. Evidence also suggests that certain antipsychotic switches may improve other adverse effects, including extrapyramidal symptoms and prolactin elevation. Because patients switched to a new antipsychotic may be more likely to discontinue the new treatment than those who remained on the original agent, it is important to optimize the patient's current treatment and perform a risk-benefit assessment before switching. Studies also support gradual discontinuation of the current medication in order to minimize problems early in the switching process. 
Given that cognitive impairment is a major reason for the lack of full recovery and functioning after episodes of bipolar disorder, it would stand to reason that a lot of work would have been done to improve cognitive performance in bipolar patients. Surprisingly, there are virtually no pharmacologic interventions to enhance cognition in bipolar disorder. Moreover, non-pharmacologic interventions for improving cognition are in their infancy in bipolar disorder relative to their development in schizophrenia. Working memory deficits and executive functions robustly predict which patients can and cannot return to work after a manic episode. In a bipolar disorder study funded by a NARSAD Independent Investigator Award in which the study drug and placebo were supplied by Natrion Incorporated, the authors tested the pro-cognitive effects of Sensorol, a standardized herbal extract derived from the medicinal plant Withania somnifera. Extracts from this plant have shown cognitive benefits in animals, including the improvement of several aspects of memory. In this placebo-controlled two-month study of 60 patients, Sensoril was added to medicines being used for the maintenance treatment of bipolar disorder. The researchers found that Sensoril improved working memory. An example of working memory is remembering the last seven digits of a phone number patient showed few side effects and no concerns were noted on the basis of laboratory analysis. Importantly, there was no mood destabilization among patients. Even though these early results are promising, confirmatory studies using standardized preparations of withania somnifera extracts are needed. The importance of standardized herbal extracts to research and clinical use resides in their ability to provide the right concentrations of active ingredients while removing impurities. You may access the full text of this article free via the November Table of Contents at psychiatrist.com. A panic attack is sometimes the only indicator of an ictal event in patients who have a low-grade temporal lobe tumor. Sadly, detection of the tumor often goes untreated for years because doctors don't know how to tell the two apart. In a retrospective chart study of patients with epilepsy, physicians determined that 10 patients had been misdiagnosed with psychogenic panic for 3 to 23 years when they in fact had intractable temporal lobe epilepsy. Of these patients, none had symptoms suggestive of a brain tumor, such as signs of increased intracranial pressure or any focal neurologic deficit. In five of the patients, other symptoms associated with the ictal panic were identified. Although resection of the lesion resulted in improved seizure outcome for these patients, this pertinent question arises for clinicians. Which patients presenting with panic warrant an MRI, given the cost limitations and impracticality of imaging all such patients? Visit psychiatrist.com to learn some key points that distinguish ictal panic from traditional panic symptoms. One challenge that psychiatry has faced is how to determine the lower boundary of a unipolar depressive disorder. 
No one wants to pathologize brief evanescent feelings that may be associated with stress, loss, or disappointment. Yet one should not ignore a sustained mood disturbance that results in long-lived emotional distress and dysfunction simply because the number of arbitrarily defined symptoms elicited during an interview does not reach a non-empirically developed threshold. This concern has led to a considerable amount of research attempting to define, validate, and delineate depressive disorders that do not meet DSM-IV criteria for major depressive disorder. The authors of this post hoc analysis, supported by Eli Lilly, examined three levels of severity within minor and major depression. The study sample included 161 outpatients with minor depression and 969 outpatients with major depressive disorder. The authors discovered three groups of symptoms, core symptoms, continuous symptoms, and threshold symptoms. Core depressive symptoms occurred in most people at all depression severity levels. These included symptoms like sad, irritable, and anxious mood, and difficulty concentrating or making decisions. The continuous symptom group, which included sleep difficulties and change in appetite or weight, showed increasing frequency as the severity of depression increased across minor and major depression. Threshold symptoms became common only during more severe major depression and included suicidal thoughts or actions, psychomotor slowing, panic or phobic symptoms, and gastrointestinal symptoms. The authors conclude that clinicians should carefully assess the full range of symptoms analyzed in this study, including those not currently included in the DSM criteria for major depressive disorder. The omega-3 fatty acids, eicosapentaenoic acid, referred to as EPA, and docosahexaenoic acid, referred to as DHA, have been linked to depression and cardiovascular disease. Evidence in the literature has supported this association. Researchers have reported decreased omega-3 fatty acid levels in plasma or cell membranes in depressed patients with and without cardiovascular disease. Conversely, reduced depressive symptoms have been observed in psychiatric patients with EPA and DHA supplementation with or without antidepressants. In depressed patients surviving acute myocardial infarction, however, studies evaluating the effect of EPA and DHA supplementation are rare. The aim of this article, therefore, was to investigate whether EPA and DHA supplementation is associated with a reduced rate of depression after myocardial infarction. The trial on which this study was based was funded by Traumsdorf. In the total study population, which included a sample of 2,081 subjects, a 12-month supplementation with EPA and DHA was not associated with a significant antidepressant effect. However, the post hoc analysis of the subgroup of depressed patients who did and did not receive antidepressants revealed the following associations. 
First, in the group of depressed patients, EPA and DHA supplementation as monotherapy resulted in a tendency toward an antidepressant effect. Second, in the subgroup of depressed patients supplemented with EPA and DHA in addition to antidepressant, a significant and clinically relevant antidepressant effect was shown. The authors conclude that these findings may serve as the basis for a controlled prospective study with EPA and DHA supplementation in combination with antidepressants. Schizophrenia is a severe mental disorder with cognitive impairment as a core feature of the illness. Although numerous studies have been published reporting clinical variables that predicted symptom remission in schizophrenia, very little research has been conducted to identify cognitive predictors of remission status in the early course of the illness. For three years, researchers from the University of Hong Kong prospectively followed 92 Chinese patients aged 18 to 55 years who presented with first-episode schizophrenia. Regular assessments of symptom severity, psychosocial functioning, and cognitive performance were done for each subject during the study period. Sustained one-year symptomatic remission was defined on the basis of modified consensus-derived operational criteria. The study results showed that around 45% of patients achieved sustained remission by the end of the three-year follow-up. Patients in remission had better functioning and better verbal memory than those who failed to attain remission. More superior one-year verbal memory function better adjustment before illness onset, and lower one-year negative symptom severity were found to predict a higher likelihood of achieving symptomatic remission at the end of the three-year follow-up. The study findings thus provide supportive evidence that among various cognitive domains, verbal memory might be specifically related to attainment of symptomatic remission in the early stage of schizophrenia. Depression is the leading cause of disability worldwide in terms of years lost due to illness. Unfortunately, about a third of patients continue to experience symptoms despite full treatment with antidepressant medication. A potential candidate for augmenting the current first-line therapies for depression is the novel stimulant-like agent modafinil. Following the first reports that showed beneficial effects for depressed patients, many studies investigated how well modafinil works to improve residual symptoms. Because the findings have been mixed, The aim of the present study was to perform a meta-analysis of the randomized controlled trials of modafinil and armodafinil augmentation therapy for acutely depressed patients with unipolar and bipolar disorder. The literature search identified six randomized controlled trials involving a total of 910 patients, of whom 568 had unipolar depression and 342 had bipolar depression. The meta-analysis showed that modafinil, as compared to placebo, was associated with a significant improvement in depression and increased rate of remission for which the number needed to treat was 10. 
There were also significant effects of modafinil on fatigue at the final visit, and interestingly, there was some evidence for beneficial effects of modafinil on mood and fatigue early in the first week. There were no significant differences between modafinil and placebo augmentation in dropout rates, serious adverse events, or emergent mania or hypomania. In summary, modafinil may be a useful augmentation therapy for residual symptoms of mood and fatigue in unipolar and bipolar disorders. Some schizophrenia patients may experience continuous or severe auditory hallucinations that do not respond to antipsychotics. This month's Practical Psychopharmacology column looks at a treatment that holds promise for these patients, transcranial direct current stimulation. Dr. Andrade discusses the evidence supporting this non-evasive treatment, including its effects on auditory hallucinations as well as negative symptoms. Finally, he touches on safety issues and on the importance of proper administration techniques and electrode placement. Visit us online at psychiatrist.com to read Dr. Andrade's column and participate in the discussion. Over one billion people worldwide are affected by insufficient levels of vitamin D. This month's ASCP Corner Offering looks at the effects of vitamin D in the brain and, specifically, the suggested relationship to depression. The authors examine the available data and discuss whether there is enough evidence to incorporate vitamin D supplementation when treating depressed patients. In closing, be sure to visit us online for interactive activities from our CME Institute and more from the November issue of the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry. Thanks for listening. This is John Shelton signing off. I hope you will join me next month for the Publishers Podcast, your place for psychiatry soundbites.